This is Mark Shepard, Romo Lampkin. You're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. Hot Dog says, we rickshaw these people around. Where do they come up with that verb? That seemed like it was crossing the line too much into an Earth type of reference. Caprica's six, Sharon's eight. We're missing seven. So seven is missing, which is interesting because that would be one of the final five, but it precedes the number eight. Because I'd really like to set up sort of a little town hall of some of the listeners and get some of your feedback about what you thought about the last half season, where you think things might be going. So that should be fun. I just don't think that the planet they're on is Earth. What is the point of the final four that we know now? She'll be pregnant with Cavill's child. Oh, we God, don't put that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is the Galactica Quorum. This is show number 51. It's, it's a, a fracking podcast. podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. Today we have a special podcast where we're doing a town hall with some of our listeners, and we're going to get some perspective on season four as it has occurred so far and get ideas and thoughts about where things might be going. Our web address is galacticacorum.com, and our email is gquorum at gmail.com, and our voicemail 206-350-6756. Please visit our website and our forums. I am Brian, and joining me today is... Fern. Amanda. And Dimitri. And uh, our two guest podcasters. Why don't you go ahead and tell people a little bit about yourselves, where you're from? Yeah, my name's Byrne. I've been listening to the podcast for a long time, and uh, I love it. I blog about it. I'm in San Francisco. I work for a blogging company. We make blogs. Cool. Hey, I'm Amanda. I live in Pennsylvania. I go to school in California. I've heard of Galactica Quorum. I think it was like around the third time you guys put out your podcast, and I just liked your banter. It was just fun. And finally, a podcast that, I don't know, didn't bash Hilo every five seconds, because <laughs> That's what I kept finding. I'm like, ouch. And I'm not a particular Apollo fan. So, and I finally I got some good criticism on Apollo. So that's why I became a good fan of this podcast. I mean, what drew me to Quorum was the fact that it was actually critical of BSG, mm-hmm. as opposed to being this kind of sycophantic, like, fan adoring, nothing can go wrong with BSG. That's another reason why I liked it. You guys gave positive and negative criticism on the show, which I really liked. It's interesting you say that, man. At the beginning, we were monitoring the iTunes comments that people were writing because at the beginning, we didn't have a website. We didn't have anything. That was our only real feedback. And there was a couple people who, I mean, it was constructive criticism, I guess, but they really bashed us because they said we weren't fans because all we did was bash the show. Then at, at one point, I was like, well, maybe we do bash the show too much. But then I look back on it and I think that we just wanted the show to be better because we were we liked it so much that it's almost like a movie. You go to see a movie and the, and you really enjoy it, but there's like one or two things that happen. You're like, oh my god! And then you can't stop thinking about that oh my god moment. And then you wish, oh wow, if I made that movie, I would fix that one thing, and that would be the best movie of the year. I so, guess there's a fine line between bashing and being critical. Because yeah. the other aspect of this that's refreshing is a recognition that it's fiction and that right. there's an emphasis on story and the decisions that you have to make given that you have a 40-minute window to tell a story and a 10-episode season 
there are trade-offs you have to make. And that acknowledging that shows some, a level of kind of critical thinking just about the process of storytelling, which is uh, very nice. Thank you. Indeed. <laughs> really quickly, let's bring up some con news. Amanda, you have some news about what, what was the name of the Jump Con? Jump Con, yeah. There was um, one in Boston and another one is going to be in New Jersey. The main reason I know about it is because Edward James Almost and Mary McDonald were going to both be there. What happened was Eddie Mary both dropped out, and then later the Boston Con just totally canceled, and then it's later rumored that the rest all just canceled, and it kind of, I feel bad for a lot of people who already bought tickets, because I know some people who bought plane tickets, so a lot of people are kind of stuck. Yeah, there's been some bad con events lately. There was there was one in Texas that was called FedCon, and they basically had the show canceled mid-morning on Saturday, and they basically said, uh, we're closing up shop, everyone go home. But yeah, that con too, just total disaster. But next month is Dragon Con. Looking forward to that one. We've got uh, Michelle's going with Ted, her husband. I'm going. I'm not sure what to expect, really, but uh, should be interesting. Just really quick, some Battlestar news. The Emmy Award nominations came out, and of course, Battlestar was pretty much uh, snubbed. Yeah. Ooh. The Wire was snubbed as well, which for me is hurts doubly because those are my kind of my two favorite shows, and. Uh, is it a surprise though that Valsar Galactica wasn't in there? I mean, did they, I think the, well, the one is it, surprise is it a ratings thing. I mean, do they pick shows based on popularity and then they give them nominations? Or in the past, have shows been nominated that no one's ever heard of? The thing that was different this year was the fact that some of those other cable network shows actually did make it to the final cut. Like Mad Men made it. It's not. Just ratings because, you know, Mad Men is, it's not a very highly rated show in comparison to a network show, but it garnered plenty of acclaim, I guess. I guess the one thing that was surprising, I'm not surprised that Galactica didn't get best drama or whatever, but Mary McDonald got a lot of attention in various blogs and magazine articles and things like that, that she was seriously a contender to get one of the final nominations and she didn't get it. It got a lot of technical ones. I think it was best script for a drama series. Right. That was, I think, their biggest one. Editing for a couple and special effects. Yeah. There's always next year with season five. Yeah. That's the reason they cut it in half, so they could get one more season in which they could... Is it season five? I just started calling it 4.5. Like, they started doing it, too. The no, it's season five. Brian and Dimitri started calling it season five, just because okay. it's too big of a break to call it season I'm pretty four. sure I mean, if your last episode doesn't have a next on segment right yeah. that's a season break that's right. the definition yeah. of a season break okay season five it is if you have to buy a new set of calendars for the next year that's a new season <laughs> right let's play a couple voicemails play amanda's voicemail <laughs> we don't have one this I'm time sure, i'm sure i have something there funny you should bring that up because yeah thanks <laughs> we actually do have well, all right, we'll go ahead and play this one here from Fern. Hey, it's Fern uh, calling in. Uh, background noise to the contrary. I am not breaking California state law. I am walking with uh, my cell phone. I am not driving. In any event, um, I just wanted to chime in about the Eastern Alliance. Um, it seems weird to bring in, at this point in the series, with only 10 episodes left, any new characters. That would just seem like folly to me. Um, because how are we, how possibly are we as an audience going to develop any kind of emotional attachment given how much we've already been invested in the characters that exist to 
really even consider bringing in additional characters. But not only that, uh, my, my feeling is that the Easter Alliance is uh, more along a, a signpost or a test of some kind that uh, perhaps in a previous cycle, another race of humans on their way to Earth mistaked Terra or mistaked this planet they were on as the final destination. Of course, they were wrong, and um, there they died. Maybe this is the test that uh, the humans in this cycle have to finally realize that this is not the final destination, and uh, they must continue onward. Uh, with all of the other signs they've encountered along the way, that's just what this is, another signpost. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Okay, who wants to jump in? Burn? I, I guess I have to. Um, what you don't know is I'm dodging traffic as I'm, I'm leaving that message, running across streets. But I don't know, I thought the, the whole concept of the Eastern Alliance, honestly, I thought it was a stretch. I don't think the, the writers are going to go so far as to fold in every component of the previous series. I think that's a great concept, kind of pursue and something that, you know, I'm certainly interested in, in looking at all of the previous, and all of the episodes, I should say, and how the writers are bringing in small elements. I have the sense that the writers don't have enough respect, not in a negative way, but enough respect for the old series to try and make too many homages to the previous scripts. But um, I don't know, the Eastern Alliance, that whole concept just seemed kind of far-fetched to me. At the end of the day, I I just don't think that the planet they're on is Earth. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that there was this other planet that people ended up on um, if that's Terra, that's an interesting concept. I'm just trying to kind of fit in that into a story framework that I think will make sense. But I don't think they're on Earth. I don't think they can be on Earth. I don't know if that is Earth either. Because I, I just think they got there so quickly. It just seemed from what Starbuck found on the shiny Viper to them getting to that planet just seemed so easy all of a sudden. But what I'm wondering now is what's most important to them? Is it finding a new planet to set up life? Or is it to find the actual Earth. I mean, does it matter? Are they hell-bent on finding Earth where, you know, the 13th colony went or something like that? Or is it about finding a place that can finally... Because they were almost, you know, ready to just settle on New Caprica, and I thought. So well, I if, you believe in, if you believe in destiny, part of the show seems like this whole prophecy is about this kind of concept of destiny and finding Earth. I think finding Earth has to be the end game. Finding Earth this early and then having to rationalize somehow that what they're on Earth, but it's some alternate version of Earth or it's a future version of Earth or, I don't know, just seems too complicated. I'm probably the one person who believes I'm kind of leaning towards it is Earth because I was hell-bent on thinking that when they announced Chief and Tori and Anders and Ty as Cylons, I'm like, they're not Cylons, no. And then eventually, I'm like, oh, okay, they are Cylons. So I can understand where it'd be like, that's not Earth. I think it might be Earth, but it's like they get to Earth, and I think it's what happens next. That's going to be a problem. Maybe not all of Earth is destroyed. Maybe they just land on the one crappy part of Earth. Or it's like what happens from now, because then you've got the whole alliance issue. Is it going to fall apart? Is it going to be stronger? We don't know. To me, I don't know, like the end of the series... Maybe it's about, not Earth, but maybe it's like the Galactica itself, and I always kind of believe that if the show ends, it would be like, I don't know, Galactica blowing up or something, because that's end of show right there for me. Right. Well, I thought an always an interesting concept was that they're never meant to find Earth, like they're never, or I should say they're never meant to reunite with humanity on Earth, that their mission in some respect is to protect Earth, and that 
the fiction that we can maintain as viewers is that there is this universe out there, this galactica universe that's happening. We're obviously completely ignorant of it, but this television show has given us this kind of window into this universe in which this prophecy and cycle is playing itself out. And um, ultimately, this prophecy is playing itself out to protect us from the demise of the Cylons or the demise of some either external force or even to save us from ourselves. That's deep, man. Deep. (laughs) I like that. That's really cool because it actually, that makes more sense. So with, with that train of thought, they shouldn't have been looking for Earth from the very beginning. They should say, no, we don't want what just happened to us here to happen to our brothers on Earth. And since we can't shake the Cylons, we should do everything we can to go in the opposite direction and then find a planet to inhabit. I kind of agree with little bits of what everyone has said. I mean, I agree with Amanda that they don't throw things out there just to mess with you. Like the Final Four Cylon, where Dimitri last year was like, ah, we don't know they're really Cylons. And I'm like, I don't think they would just totally screw with us that way. And they didn't. They said, they're Cylons, deal with it. And in the same manner... I kind of feel like they got to Earth, and it's probably Earth. But then, on the other hand, is it their final destination? I don't know, because like what Byrne said, there's this prophecy, and I think they have a lot to do in the mythology of the story now, is getting back to all this has happened before. And we've always thought that the ending of the story was Earth, but I think from the very beginning, they've always had this setup where there's a larger thing than even finding Earth. It was more like, how does this resolve in terms of an overall journey for the characters, a journey for the human race. When they get to Earth, I mean, that's fine, but it's not like the final ending of the story. First of all, are all the, like, Ron Moore podcasts fair game here? Yeah. All right. So, At this point, um, yeah. There was one something he said that had something to do with about the selection of On the Watchtower or the selection of the show that all the, at that time, the four Cylons were hearing. Mm-hmm that that song in particular was relevant to the story. They chose a real song as opposed to making up their own song in some way to kind of anchor the story in the future to a point in time in our kind of contemporary history. Mm. That in some respects kind of throws out this idea that this is an Earth of the future, that they're ultimately bound to come back to an Earth that is more contemporary to the one we know today as, as the viewers. Yeah, he's alluded a few times... It hasn't been overt, but he's said that how there's comparisons and how there's connections to our Earth and their Earth. Like once he mentioned just offhand how, you know, all the people speak English and they wear ties and they throw out these Latin references. And I had this one riff a long time ago about how they're using words that were a little bit too Earth-centric for me. What was it, junk? It was uh, rickshaw was the word they use, yeah. And uh, I thought that was just too much of an earth word. But now I'm wondering, because he's brought this up more than one time, I think part of the resolution might just be that there is going to be a connection, and it'll be rather overt. It won't just be, we saw a very blown apart earth, but no real frame of reference in time. I, I guess we'd have to assume it would be in the future for us. But I think part of it is, again, back to the cycle business, They could find Earth, and they could still find a new destination, but they still need to find the connection of our Earth. And I think that's the key somehow, but I don't... I guess another thing I keep thinking about is his blog post a while back where he said that he was on the picket line for the writer's strike, and he had like a new clarity about how he wanted to resolve the last part of the season. And I'm wondering if 
maybe there was some change up that he made. Now, we're all thinking about all these theories now, but it's possible that given time to stew over it as he was walking the pavement, he might have been like, hmm, maybe we can change it up just a little bit. Maybe the signposts, as we film them so far, point to this direction and it might be too obvious or whatever. Maybe they will change it up somehow. I don't know. I can't wait to see what they do because it, it might just be something completely radical. Well, it's interesting. I mean, to go back to the song, right, which is what they kind of started this with the illusion of Ron Moore. It's kind of the existence of the song or, or at least it being relevant. And the last episode kind of threw this theory to the wind or to the wall in, in some respects. But let me ask this question to see if I remember correctly. When Tori and Ty and, and Chief were all drawn to the Viper, were they all hearing the same song again? Pretty much, I think. Or was it just a generic disorientation that I they thought felt? it was just disorientation more than a song. They all sort of like put their hands to their ears like, you know, there was like a shrill note. I don't think they actually were hearing the song. Then this, this may actually give credence to this theory that the song they were hearing, when they were hearing it, when they were all brought to that chamber together back in the season three cliffhanger, was that there was in some way they were in a point in space where they could actually pick up a real signal that had been transmitted from Earth. And I guess this would have been transmitted from Earth, what, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever? Um, how long, you know, speed of light, that mm-hmm. kind of science fiction nonsense, or pi- not science fiction nonsense, but that they were actually picking up some kind of an actual radio broadcast or an actual broadcast that had emanated originally from Earth. Of course, when they left that area, they could no longer hear it because um, they could only pick it up the idea that wherever Starbuck was, wherever they heard that song, that was this kind of rift or key place where they have to return to if they're ever to find the window that will take them directly to Earth. I guess the thing that I... And this gets down to where you got to like play the TikTok game where you're saying, where were they at what time? Because some people have sort of a misconception that the Viper was what was sending out the signal to them... In the last episode, and it wasn't the Viper, because the Viper, first of all, wasn't sending out any music. For some reason, they were drawn to the Viper. I don't think it was because the Viper was sending out a signal. The Viper was detecting a signal. I don't think it was sending out a signal. At the end of Season 3, they were hearing music, but it wasn't just at the Nebula. They were having this happen before, like at least a jump or two before they actually arrived there. And so, that's what makes me kind of wonder, like, it doesn't make really sense if it's a signal from Earth... Because if they made a jump, I mean, you're talking about stellar distances and, like, the song wouldn't have been reaching them at different places in the cosmos. You know, it's sort of, I'm not sure, maybe that's something we have, just have to buy and just give the writers a pass or something. Because the Viper was not around before they made the jump to the Nebula. And they were having that sort of music tone in their minds before then, so. Well, it's like, okay, if, I think it was, like, Crossroads Part 1. They weren't picking up the full song. They were like, and you saw Ty kind of like flicking with the radio. It's like, just, it would be like two seconds and you'd be like, what the? And then it would just pass. That could be the Viper because it was so far out, it couldn't pick up a bigger signal. And as they jumped closer and closer, because then Data said that they were counting down the jumps, the song started to get louder and longer. So that's when it started to hit. That's when they really started to notice. And then when they finally jumped into the nebula, or they were in that general region, that's when Starbucks Viper or was like, I don't know, carrying the signal a little bit that it just went off so much. That's why they were in that room together because it was so loud or whatnot. That's what I always thought because from like the very beginning, it's like 
she was there, but she was too far out that they couldn't pick it up so much. But as soon as they were getting closer and closer, that's when it was starting to get louder. That's my theory. <laughs> Just in terms of like really being picky, and I don't want to do it too much because you have to not look at it at a microscopic level like this, but I can see it being weaker like a few parsecs out from whatever source it was. But when you're making a, an FTL jump, which in theory is like a few light years away, it, it kind of stretches the bounds of you know what he, what do you consider a weak signal and how long can that weak signal last across light years, you know? Did you ever watch the original series? I watched a few of them. I, don't, I mean, they were in reruns in, in the 80s, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I only watched a couple as well. But there was one episode that I did see that really sticks out with me. It was one of those things that if there was one kind of element that I'd really like to see them incorporate into this series, it was uh, there was an episode, I believe, where Apollo was looking for Starbuck or someone was looking for Starbuck and they found Starbuck in some obscure part of Galactica and he had headphones on or he had he was looking at some screen and he was asked, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just listening to the to the noise in space to see if I pick up anything. I'm just I just come here to relax or something to that effect. And he picks up a signal, and what the signal he picks up is a television signal from Earth of man landing on the moon. Oh. And, and it's that moment where you realize, for the first time, I think in the series of the old series, that Earth is actually real, that Earth is, um, that this is somehow contemporary to what is going on in our lives. I just yeah. love that kind of thought. I think that's the last episode of the first season. I think that oh, is really? the very last episode. Like the last scene, I, I saw that where they see the man on the moon and all that. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's it. I'm not a huge fan of the old series. I thought it was kind of cheesy in, in a good way. But that was the only kind of either real poignant moment in the old series that I was like, wow, that's actually thought-provoking. Yeah. All right. We had another voicemail to play. This one is from David. Galactica Forum. This is David in Atlanta. Uh, one episode behind, so uh, somebody may have already brought this up. For Revelations, the one thing that uh, I thought you guys kind of missed when she said that only four of them are with a fleet, I took that to mean that the fifth one was already on the base star. My personal uh, choice is probably Hot Dog, but um, thought that it was going to be somebody who was already on the base star. I know Hilo, I think, was on the base star, but I don't think it'll be him. I think it'll either be uh, Baltar or Hot Dogs, my bet. Anyway, see y'all in Atlanta soon. A couple things to touch on. Number one, the Hilo as the fifth, or anyone that was not on the fleet and that was on the base star as the fifth. And I'll just read one email we got from Cave Dweller, who writes, I'm a Hilo honey and one that's been intrigued by the idea that Hilo might be the final Cylon. But I had that hope quashed by Ronald D. Moore's Hub podcast when he talked about deleted scenes. He said one of the scenes that was deleted was Deanna preparing to flush Hilo out the airlock as one of her execution subjects. Don't think she would have done that for one of the final five. I... I've said before, I don't think that they would have had Hilo or anyone on the base star be a candidate for the final five. People just seem like they're looking for the small sliver of a loophole to keep character X as a candidate for being the fifth. Even though Deanna said they're not in the fleet, I just don't see it. I think on a lesser show, the writers may use that kind of cheat to like keep this one little loophole in there. But I think BSG writers have grander plans than to use semantics like that. I think they have something really in mind. And like the emailer pointed out, they had, way back at the end of Season 3, mapped out who the final five were, and they chose the final four for reasons. What is that reason? 
Yeah, did they really? Ron Moore said that they got in the writer's room and they picked these people for various reasons. And for whatever reason, they, they did pick four. I think there is a reason why they didn't do five. I think the five wasn't just because we'll keep one in our pocket and we'll name them later. I think it actually isn't anything more than that final person is something they haven't come across yet. There's been a lot of talk about it could be someone that's on Earth. or but an, could, an important distinction is they didn't know who the final four were going to be when they were doing season one. Well, well, yeah, they didn't, but they definitely started mapping it out at the beginning of season three, according to Ron Moore. So to me, th- they knew who they were. And they they would not shoot a scene at this point with Hilo ready to be dumped out the airlock without knowledge of who the fifth was and just trying to, you know, at the end was like, okay, we have to pick the fifth now. Who's left? You know, I don't think they did that. Oh, I, think- I bet you anything Ron Moore has always known who the fifth is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to seem like a Galactica hater, <laughs> but what is the point of the final four that we know now? What's the point? I mean, now that we know the final four, what have they given us? I think they're the divining rods. They're navigators. That's what I think. They're like, that way. No, that's precisely right. I think Amanda's exactly right. I think they're divining rods to, like, essentially help tune in to the signal that will take us there. So you're saying then then the reason that Chief was nodding his head is because he knows it's the wrong place? Or he knows this is Earth and he's like, we're screwed. (laughs) I'm going with it. He's the fifth one. Maybe he's waiting on the planet for them to arrive because he's like the uh, grounding wire. And make it all work. Maybe. Maybe he looks like a dollar. We, we talked about the purposes of the fifth. I think there's two parallel tracks for them. There's the purposes in terms of the Cylons, their plan. Remember the plan? And this sort of prophecy. Yeah, remember? The, we have a plan. They have a we plan. have a plan. The Cylons have a plan. All will be revealed. All will be revealed, right. Next year. Now, yeah, maybe they were the divining rods to find Earth. Maybe it takes all five to have a clear signal. But the silence still hold them in such reverence. For some reason, they were special. And it wasn't, I think, just so that they could find Earth. I think it was some other thing about them achieving some different level of evolution. Speaking of which, if they were so... I, I can't speak about them, right? Somewhere someone said, we can't talk about them. We can't speak about the final five. And then they all of a sudden they have the final four in their presence, or at least they got Tori the Hori. Why all of a sudden is it just, she's just walking around? Shouldn't they be like looking at her through, like, the peripheral vision and kind of, like, scooting away from her because she's, like, this revered or feared being. Well, maybe that was, like, more in the beginning. Like, season three, they're like, no, we don't think about the final five, you crazy, and then they get all... And then it was, like, was it mostly Natalie, I'm guessing? Like, in uh, the beginning of season four, then they just said, screw it, we want to find the final five. Yeah. You said something about them all having to come together, or they, they all have to be well, yeah. united. Well, I, mean, I don't want to get all Sesame Street or anything well, like that, but it's interesting, the idea that until all of them are actually together, yeah. and you have the Magic 13, will certain truths be revealed? That there has to be a certain union that takes place. Maybe they're like Voltron or something, you know? I mean, Voltron, all the cats are useless by themselves, but you put them together and you get this really tall, handsome robot with a sword. Well, they got to hope that that's not really what's supposed to happen because if the final five are truly the one-of-a-kind single copies that they are, that's pretty poor design because at any moment, any of those guys could have gotten killed or been left on a planet or maybe they didn't make it off the you know, during the destruction. It's pretty improbable that they've all managed to survive. Of course, the fifth one is still out there somewhere. 
you know, if somehow they had this plan where everyone's supposed to meet together and everything's going to, like, unlock the key, like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the great light shines through when everything is in place and slotted in the correct place, I don't think it's quite that much Can of a... religious? Could yeah. the final five be the gods that everyone prays to? Maybe they're like gods or prophets. Maybe that's why Ty took a beating, but he made choices, take out his wife, he lost an eye, but he keeps on going because he's a deity. So it just seemed like a coincidence, but maybe it was just a divine right that you can take a kicking, but you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. He's Job. Here you go. All right. So now when David called in, he had a second voicemail. I'll play that one now. Hi, this is David from Atlanta again calling. Uh, I am now caught up on the uh, podcast and uh, wanted to uh, send out the spoiler of the Hulo spoiler. Y'all came up with a theory that since Hulo and Sharon had a kid, he might be the fifth Cylon, but that would be the same argument you would have to make about uh, Callie because her and the Chief had a baby. So I don't think that that necessarily applies. Just wanted to throw that out there. Bye. So I brought up kind of a discussion we had before about we're trying to figure out how Cylon human babies are being made. And well, we know how they're being made. But, um, how, we need the birds and the bees discussion. Yeah. Um, put on the ex- two beers. I'll take a discussion like that. Put on the explicit <laughs> tag. All right. Put the kids to bed. One of the things I just threw out there last time, it might be like a final five thing. And then I think it was, was it Dimitri or it was Michelle who said, well, that would mean that Gila would have to be final five because Sharon is not a uh, final five. And so that was kind of deflated me, but just another wacky theory that came into my mind was at the beginning of this season, we had this one email from someone who talked about downloading consciousness. And, and that led me to come up with this other idea about how the order of the Cylon models and how Cavill is number one. And there's a gap between seven and then there's eight and there's nine, 10, 11, 12. So again, I don't know what the numerology is going to mean, but it could just be that in a certain sense, and I don't mean like the true sense, but in a certain sense, maybe Sharon is like final five in the sense that she's in, the, in terms of the numbers, she it's starting at number eight and then nine, 10, 11, 12, those guys are fertile. And number seven is not, but number seven is actually in terms of silent mythology of the final five is actually a fifth. That's the thing I kind of came out with is like, well, maybe there's like final five in terms of the production line, and that would include Sharon, although she's not like... To be honest, I'm like probably the, one of the few people that I'm like, did they just throw a dart at the board and be like, okay, he's number one, <laughs> she's six, that's what I thought, but... I think they waited a long time to tell us who everybody was. I don't know. I, half of me thinks, yeah, I think they just, they're kind of random, and the numbers don't mean much of anything. On the other hand, I think, well, maybe there is something more behind it. Like, why would Cavill be number one? I don't know. If Cavill's one, then why would Ty be later? Because Ty, to me, would be in terms of age, or at least... Well, they didn't have to be made in age-specific order. I mean... No, they wouldn't, they but... Just t- they could have taken an old guy who was drinking on the street and taken his body and created Ty. Mm. He was the ninth one they picked up that day. There you go. I don't, well, the whole model number, I think, is... Um just doesn't float with me. Like, I think there are those Cylons, the skin jobs, that are clearly manufactured. They resurrect, they transfer consciousness, so on and so forth. Tied to me and all of them, they clearly, they have too much history that goes way too far back for them to be manufactured by anyone. 
right? I mean, they mm-hmm. have history with Adama when he was a young kid, fighter pilots, so on and so forth. And, and Ron Moore talks about the final five are fundamentally different than the others. And by that, I mean, I don't think they're manufactured. I don't think that they stem from the machine, the stock of machinery, like the other Cylons. I think, and the theories I've heard of them being somehow descendants of the previous cycle or descendants of humanity or something. I mean, they're prophetic clearly in some way, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they're manufactured. I don't think they have a model number. I would tend to agree with you. I guess the thing that keeps tripping me up is this season, they actually introduced things like the little red eye flash pulse that Enders had, which indicates some sort of wiring of some kind. And uh, just the fact that they do have some transmitter in their brains, that's picking up something. And And the heavy raider didn't attack Anders, right? Right. Because he scanned his eye. Right. So clearly there's something in Anders. It's not just biology, because a heavy raider is not going to scan biology and get some sort of signal. It's going to scan. Right. He's got some sort of machinery or something. And also, Callie, if anyone remembers, Tori, like, doing that backhanded fist slap to Callie, and she went, like, 80 feet in the air, did a somersault. Could that also be a factor as well? Yeah. Well, they seem to have more uh, physical capabilities. I think... That was a clue back when Chief got flushed out the airlock and he was not in the decompression tube like Callie was. And I, back when I saw that, I'm like, hmm, that's kind of odd. They're both out I there. For this. I hadn't even given that a second thought, but that makes total sense. Yeah. Back to what, what was it, David, who did he voicemail? Uh-huh. Because I've heard that theory of like people saying that Kara was the fifth and final Cylon. Mm-hmm. I don't really disagree with that. I'm not sure if someone said it here, but like you see the final five and you don't really see a two-foot baby in the final five thing, and I just never bought that personally. And she's the shape, quote, shape of things to come. Like, she is not representative of the past. She's representative of the future of humanity and Cylons together, somehow. If you consider now something interesting, they've got a human and first seven hybrid child. They've got a human and final five hybrid child, and now with Ty and six, they have a Cylon-Cylon hybrid child. I have to believe that there's a reason that there's that trinity of different hybrids. I think that's going to come into meaning mm. somehow. That old saying, don't make, what is it, don't make war, make love. That'll make everything happy. Eventually, throughout the line, if enough people get together, it's like, eh, everybody's a silent, so we'll stop fighting. Well, at the beginning of the season, they had that sci-fi teleconference with Katie Sackhoff, and someone did ask her a question about the final five, and... She said that she knew the identity, that they had revealed it, but she wasn't sure she really believed it. She said she wouldn't believe it until it was actually either shot or, or whatever. So maybe, who knows, maybe they didn't even trust the crew. 15 different takes of, you're right. the final five. Okay, next one, bring in, I don't right. know, you're the final five. Well, I would, I'd be curious, as a looking at a writer's perspective and quick poll, maybe, who, there you go. who on the show would be the most shocking person to be revealed as a Cylon? Hmm. Not I think the most shocking reveal would be, well, here's the thing I was thinking, the four that we have now, Ty and Anders are huge Cylon haters. I mean, they despise them. Tori, I really don't know about her and the Cylons. And Chief, he has issues with them because he was betrayed by one. I don't know what Tori's background is, I can't remember. So I would guess that the fifth would be someone who is a huge Cylon hater. So whoever that is, I don't know if that's the president because she's trying to protect the people and she's double-crossing them. Well, in terms of who would be the most shocking, I think it would be either Adama or Rosalind. But unfortunately, those are two characters that they have either put out so many sideways hints or clues 
that they wouldn't be surprising. So in a way, it would be wait, shut- wait, no. in terms Brian, of how have they hinted that Adama could be, be a Cylon? Because Leoben whispered in Rosalind's ear, Adama's a Cylon. How much more of a hint can you get than that? Yeah, that's, that's pretty <laughs> brilliant. That's it. That's it right there. That, that's it. I'm convinced now. Because of course oh, you're, yeah, you're, the audience yeah. are going to completely forget and rule that off. Is Leoben simply trying to fuck with someone's mind? It's like right there in that season one. Yeah. Yeah. Season one, the answer's right there in front of you. Like you say it, you say it to the whole world to hear. But you never. Laura's the exact opposite, right? There's always suspicion around Laura. Right. Like all the mysticism. There's there's so much suspicion around Laura, which is why I don't think it could possibly be her. She's the magician's trick to misdirect you away from who really is a Cylon. I think Zarek would be surprising. That would be good. Everybody says it wouldn't be. That'd be a good, like, wrap up the old show into the new show. We had an email from someone that said that and suggested it, and uh, I think that'd be good as well. But again, I'm taking the writers at their word that when she said the person is not in your fleet... Yeah. That well, I'm sorry that uh, we keep going over the same people, but I just don't believe that Deanna, for whatever reason, was... Just fooling people. I, so, okay, then what's your answer, Brian? My answer is that it's either someone we haven't met before, either on Earth or in the next step after Earth, wherever they go, or it's someone who's already died. I mean, that, if you break it down, that is what it is. Okay. I actually thought Alosha would have been a good choice until they brought her back in the Hub episode. It would have been totally satisfying, but in terms of someone who hasn't been vetted a whole bunch, we kind of forgot about her, but she does kind of fit a really good profile of someone who's, well, she's female for one, and they're, they're kind of short on female Cylons overall, and she was a religious figure, which is ironic, and they go for ironic, uh, but they didn't go that way, so... I was so glad they brought Alosha back. I was, I was, it was a nice, pleasant surprise for me. I try to tend to stay away from, like, promos and stuff like that because they're getting a little too good and they're revealing a little too much, so I try to stay away from it, and I didn't know, and there she was. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so glad it wasn't Billy. Oh, I miss Billy. I have one question on the hub, though. Yeah. All right, and I recently just heard the Ronald D. Moore podcast, and Boomer, they said that she managed to survive, and I was very happy when I heard that because I was like, Boomer was such a big character, and I thought at first they killed her when the hub exploded. And I'm just kind of curious, is what is Boomer's purpose now? I'm curious on that. I think Boomer's purpose is, and this goes back to my theory that the final five numerology Cylons or fertile Cylons, is that she and Cavill, she will be pregnant with Cavill's child. Oh, sweet God, don't put that in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sorry, you I mean, have that old voicemail me going, ew. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Is like, why did they introduce that relationship other than to gross Amanda out and, and, and me as well? I mean, One of the writers has got daddy issues. They have now Caprica 6 and Ty together. Again, it comes back to this. You look at the pairings of, of the different hybrids, and would it make sense for her to come back like chief comes back and he sees her again i think it's inevitable that chief is going to see boomer again like his first i hope so and he'd be like oh i've got here's my child and she'll be like oh well here's my child (laughs) you know so i kind of think that is a direction for her that's just my prediction it's off the wall but hey but isn't she still with like the other because they split in half the silent civil war if you will like the Simons and the Dorals and what's left of the other Cavils. So is she, like, back with them? 
you know, that was that the kind of vague. They left it. You weren't sure if she even survived or what happened to Cavill. My interpretation was Cavill's neck got broke and he did have a chance to resurrect on their regular base star or whatever. And she obviously seemed to have escaped. So I think, yeah, they managed to get back on their ship and they're out there somewhere. How they're going to eventually meet back up, I don't know. But I think it is inevitable that she will meet up again. And there has to have been a reason that Cavill and her, they made a point to them showing that they were obviously linked romantically. I just don't think it's a good sign, though, because Boomer's been going on a downward spiral, if you will. So I'm just thinking that whenever we see Boomer next time, it's not going to be like, oh, Boomer's back, okay. It's going to be bringing bad news. And I think that could be probably one of the big things of next season, big conflict or something like that. Okay, that should wrap it up for this episode. Our email address is gcorm at gmail.com. Our voicemail is 206-350-6756. And our website, galacticacorum.com. Be sure to send us some emails and some voicemails, and we will be discussing them in future podcasts. We have some other town halls lined up and some other special events, so please give us a call or leave us a message. And so until next time, the jump clock is running. Bye-bye. Well, maybe we won't play it. We'll spare you the embarrassment of hearing yourself. Yeah, thanks for throwing me under the bus there, buddy. <laughs> I mean, how meta. I have to be in a podcast we, yeah. listening yeah. to myself, commenting on myself, leaving a voicemail. Mm. And you can blog about it later. Um <laughs> <laughs>